Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com, the no fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. After four years, 175 episodes recorded, 9,625 minutes of no bullshit content published, and 1 million plus downloads reached, I felt it was time to shake things up a bit. You see, I want to help you radically stand out because I firmly believe it's the only way for you to succeed without marketing bullshit. So moving forward, each episode is going to be around 20 minutes long. Each episode is going to be super practical where I'm going to teach you one way to radically stand out that you can apply to your business today. I'm going to use snippets of past interviews, the lessons I've learned from my own experience and plenty of concrete examples. Oh, and one last thing. I'm also turning each of those episodes into the only newsletter focusing on differentiation and positioning so you can read at your own pace and remember the concept I'm teaching. If it's of interest, I hope you'll sign up today on everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'll also notify you when I launch new stuff and products and you can win rewards for referring other mavericks to the newsletter, like branded cups and t-shirts and posters and private group coaching and plenty of other nice little surprises. All right, on to the podcast. My little sister is in her fifth year of medical school in France. She currently studies 10 to 12 hours a day, six days a week for two years straight to prepare for the biggest exam of the year which will determine which discipline she will specialize in. So she could pick ophthalmology, plastic surgery, dermatology, cardiology, nephrology. Obviously, the list goes on and on and on. And within the specialty, some doctors would then pick something even more niche. Plastic surgery in a specific place, plastic surgery for different types of people, dermatology, maybe a specific disease within dermatology and all that. Anyway, after that exam, and depending on what specialty she will choose, she might have to study for another three to five years to actually become a medical doctor and keep that specialty her entire life. So imagine though, if it didn't work like that, imagine if you had a pain in your right eye that hasn't gone away for weeks. You go see your family doctor and looking at your symptoms, they diagnose a glaucoma, which is a common eye condition where the optic nerve gets kind of damaged. And Instead of recommending an actual ophthalmologist who specializes in the disease, they tell you you're in luck. They also know a thing or two about glaucoma. They could take a look right now and actually perform laser treatment followed by surgery straight away. And they also might tell you, well, you know, if your partner still struggles with sleep apnea, I could help too. And if one of your canine is still sore, I can also take a look. I bet you'll run away. I bet you'll run away from a family doctor who actually claims that not only do they know how to treat different types of patients for common diseases, but they also specialize in something quite painful and something that they need to know about, the glaucoma, as well as sibapnea and all of that. And that's because you intuitively understand that as Young Mimun, the author of Different, puts it, excellence in any extremes always implies a trade-off. All right, let me repeat that sentence because this is such a critical sentence. Excellence in any extremes almost always implies a trade-off. But I know what you're thinking already. 
a family doctor is not excellent at anything since they don't specialize. So my agreement doesn't really work, right? Just like all-in-one software tools that do a bit of everything or supermarkets that offer everything under the sun. They don't specialize. They don't excel in anything. They do so many different things. So there's no trade-off on what I said, just doesn't work. Well, here is the kicker. They are excellent at one thing and they had to let go of something else. Let me give you the examples. So for the family doctor, they excel at providing comprehensive care to patients of all ages in their local area. What's the trade-off? Well, their knowledge is limited to common diseases and issues, and they have to refer you to specialists when things get serious. For all-in-one software tools, let's say like Hotjar, Hotjar excels at helping small businesses and medium businesses understand what people really do on their website. And they use tools like heat maps, recordings, and survey to help you do that. What's the trade-off? Well, the trade-off is that big businesses who need much deeper insight, deeper integrations and all of that would need to use another tool. They just don't do that. For supermarkets, they excel at giving customers a one-stop shop solution where you can find pretty much everything. However, the trade-off is that you do have to shop elsewhere if you want to have high quality products, let's say from the butcher or expert recommendations and things that they simply not offer. So in differentiation, the number of features don't really matter. The number of things that you actually do don't really matter. It's what you actually do with it that counts. So in other words, they've achieved congruence by doubling down on one core value proposition for a very specific group of people in a specific category while accepting the trade-offs that go with it. Excellence in any extreme always imply a trade-off. But most of us are afraid of trade-offs. Instead of focusing our attention on one core value proposition, one core problem to solve, our knee-jerk reaction is to add, add, and add. And Young Mi Moon, the author of Different, calls it augmentation by addition, when we add features after features, and also augmentation by multiplication, when we add more product and service on top of it. You can think about it from the original Coke, and then Coke Zero, and Diet Coke, and all of that. And the reason why we do that, the reason businesses tend to just add, add, add as a knee-jerk reaction to try to differentiate is that we obsess over keeping all our options open just in case. We add to attract even more customers. We refuse to say no. We're faced with an unlimited number of choices and it just overwhelms us. And instead of removing things and keeping things congruent, we add, add and add out of fear. We even regret our past choices and change our mind, right? We might do something and then because there are so many options out there, we regret it very quickly and do something else. So there are many, many, many problems with that approach of adding, adding, adding as a way to differentiate. In fact, the more you add, the more you open yourself to criticism and dissatisfaction. For example, if you add a live chat to your website, but it takes a while for you to reply, people and customers might get annoyed way more than if you didn't have a chat on your website whatsoever. The more you add, the more you allow customers to compare you with other alternatives. For example, if you offer a website audit to monitor privacy issues on a site and you think of adding an SEO module in order to identify how the website could rank better on search engines, well, you would probably have a lot of potential customers start to compare you with leading SEO tools like Ahrefs who do the job probably way better. The more you add, the more resources you need to invest to stay afloat. It makes sense, right? The more features, the more things you do, 
the more you need to invest to maintain all of those things. The more you add, the more customers are entitled to today, what they used to feel thankful for yesterday. Let me repeat that because this is critical. The more you add, the more customers will be entitled to those things that you've added, even if they were thankful for them yesterday. That's a term called the hedonic treadmill that is coined by Brickman and Campbell in an article called the hedonic relativism and planning the good society. Customers will have a tendency to take any improvements on new features for granted soon after they discover it. And then if you try to remove it, well, they take it for granted. So good luck removing them altogether. And then finally, the more you add, the more difficult it becomes to align what you say with what you do, which I would argue is the core job of marketing. It's the ultimate challenge of marketing to align what you say with what you actually do so that there is no difference between the two. So the more you add, the more difficult it is to maintain and to align and all of that. To finish this and to convince you that adding is not the answer and you need to stay congruent and really double down on your value proposition, I want to use the words of the copywriter Dave Trott in his book, Predatory Thinking. And he says, the more you have of one, the less you have of the other. And I can't resist to actually read this passage from his book. You can't have more than 100%. It's like a glass that's full of liquid. Drop something in and the same amount of liquid overflows out. It's just displacement. When you add salty to sweet, you don't get 200% taste. You get something that is 50% salty, 50% sweet. But it's always only 100%. You cannot add something without taking away something. The more you have of one, the less you have of the other. That's why propositions are supposed to be single-minded because that way you get 100% of your media spend concentrated on the one main message. Whereas with a complicated proposition, you dilute and fragment your message. Less important points don't add to the communication. They detract from the most important point. That's what the single-minded proposition is all about. In the context of the book, it talks about message and why you should say one thing and obsess over one thing specifically. But I would argue that works for anything in marketing across product, place, promotion, price, and anything like that. So. Instead of giving you a step-by-step, I'm just going to give you a few mental models to play with so that you can identify your core value proposition, double down on it, and accept trade-offs in order to shade light on what you do best. The first mental model is the serial box. So imagine your product or service fits in a serial box and you will actually have to sell it in a supermarket. You will have to pick just a few things to say. You'll have to pick one core image, maybe three bullet points so that people can pick it out. You'll have to pick the brightest colors or something that people will realize. And by just focusing attention on what matters most, focusing attention on what will fit on that box, you will realize what is important and what is not. Then the game is to decide whether or not you need to remove the rest in order to shed light on that. Another mental model will be the 80% less cost that has been mentioned by Seth Godin in his book, Purple Cow. What if you had to create an alternative product or service by reducing 80% of the cost incurred when you produce it? How would it look like? What would you have to stop doing? What would you have to remove out of the feature set or out of the behavior of the entire company to make it work? That also is an interesting way to identify things to stop doing in order to shed light on negatives, on your positives. Cliches. The cliche mental model is one of my favorite. I talked about it a few times already. 
ask your customers, what do you hate the most about our category, about the industry that we're in? Identify cliches, because those cliches are usually the thing people are sick of and maybe things that competitors uh, tend to do because everyone else is doing, but in fact create dissatisfaction instead of satisfaction. This question really to a lot of ideas. So ask them on surveys, customer interviews, however you can, what do you hate the most about our category? The other mental model is to double down on the uniqueness, on the thing that people absolutely love about you. The simple question to ask is one mentioned by Momoko Price, who's a copywriter, and she was on the podcast a while back. So why did they decide to go with you as opposed to somebody else? Identify that uniqueness factor, identify that thing that they really absolutely love and double down on it, find ways to shade light on it by removing other things so that people really focus on it. Another mental model I would encourage you to use is the alternative worlds mental model. So look at companies and creators and artists that you absolutely admire. And instead of identifying what they are currently doing, the features they have, or what they say on social media and whatnot, ask yourself the question. What are they not doing? What are they not saying? Which channels are they not using? By looking at the white space, by looking at the blank space, by looking at things that are not there, instead of focusing on what they are currently doing, you will also identify the things that they've chosen not to do. By looking at the world this way, through the lens of other companies, you'll understand that every single successful company you look up to had to make trade-offs. Simple. Trade-offs are everywhere but we tend to focus on what is currently there, not on what is not. And then finally, the last mental model is focusing on your best customers. What are the things that you could do to serve them better, to really double down on the core value proposition they love, to double down on your uniqueness? How would your product or service look like if you only focused on your best customers without really caring about customers that don't necessarily fit the bill? So all of those mental models should help you to really identify your value proposition, double down on it, and find the confidence to, to accepting trade-off, to remove things instead of adding, to avoid this knee-jerk reaction of missing out on things. Because as I've proven or hope to have proven in this episode, what matters is to really double down on one thing and accept trade-off and double down on one value proposition. So to summarize, humans naturally trust specialists. We trust things that are less risky over the things that are the best. Excellence in any extremes always implies a trade-off. Even products that seem to offer many features like all-in-one software tools or a family doctor who seem to do everything under the sun for everyone are congruent because they double down on one core value proposition, one core thing they do so well, and they accept trade-offs that go with that decision. And then finally, the knee-jerk reactions of adding, 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 whether it's feature, messages, products, or anything under the sun has multiple very bad side effects that will actually prevent you from doing the thing that you seek, which is standing the fuck out. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'm pouring my heart and soul into this. Uh, it will mean a lot to me if you check out the newsletter that goes with this podcast at everyonehatesmarketers.com. I send this newsletter every Tuesday. It's packed with very practical, step-by-step, actionable ways for you to radically stand out. And when you sign up, you also get access to a free eight-lesson course on the same topic. All right, see you on the other side.
And that's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.